folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week, we saw the public announcement of TPM-backed full-disk encryption coming for the new interim release, Ubuntu 23.10, which will be released in about a month in October. So I want to dive into some of the details of that. But first, let's do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases this past week. So this week, there were 93 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. And up first was an update for ELF Utils. So this is a package that has a bunch of different binaries for handling ELF files. And uh, not too surprisingly, we see a bunch of different issues here in handling of untrusted ELF files. Uh, in this case, there were 10 different CVEs that were addressed and they go all the way back to Ubuntu release 14.04, which is now in uh, expanded security maintenance and part of Ubuntu Pro. And of these CVEs, eight of them uh, apply just to that release, so a bunch of older ones that needed to be fixed there. All of those were uh, denial of service through out-of-bounds reads or null pointer dereferences that could be triggered through crafted uh, L files. Uh, whereas uh, we kind of had a couple CVEs for more recent releases as well. Uh, in that case, there was an out-of-bounds write with an off-by-one plus a CPU-based denial of service that could be triggered, uh, again, through crafted ELF files. And, you know, they could lead to either code execution or a crash in the case of the off-by-one or just denial of service. So, yeah, if you are running uh, the various binaries in ELF utils against untrusted ELF files, you are a bit safer now. But in general, we don't recommend people do that. Moving on though, we had an update for FRR. This is the successor to Quagga uh, for a single CVE here for uh, the more recent releases. So it went to 22.04 and it went to 23.04. Uh, there was a missing length check when handling particular options that would then cause an out-of-bounds read and hence a crash of uh, the BGPD daemon uh, within FRR. And that's kind of similar to recent issues that we saw uh, that I discussed back in episode 198. So yeah, another sort of instance of that kind of thing uh, being fixed in FRR. Git Python was updated again for single CVE. Uh, and again, this goes actually all the way back to 14.04 and all the releases since. So a pretty old CVE here. In this case, it was an incomplete fix for a historical CVE, which was uh, CVE 2022-24439. And I talked about that back in episode 192 when it was fixed there. Uh, the upstream fix essentially was incomplete. Uh, in that case, that CVE was around uh, the ability to get uh, remote code execution if you could get someone to essentially clone uh, a repo with uh, untrusted arguments. So if that was then using the Git Python uh, library to do that, you would then get code execution within the shell. Uh, thanks, I want to point out to thanks to Sylvan uh, Buchler from the Debian LTS team for noticing this and pointing it out to the upstream project so they could fix that. Uh, Thunderbird was updated for nine CVEs. That's the latest upstream Thunderbird release, 102.15.0, and that is for Ubuntu releases 20.04, 22.04, and 23.04. Uh, ATFTP was updated then for three CVEs for some of our older releases. So 16.04, that's part of uh, expanded security maintenance in Ubuntu Pro, as well as 18.04, again, now in that expanded security maintenance phase, plus 20.04 LTS. Three CVEs here. Now, uh, ATFTP provides both a TFTP server and client, and it's the kind of thing that you would probably usually use on like a local LAN rather than having, say, publicly exposed to the internet uh, because TFTP is often a protocol used for doing things like, I don't know, booting firmware images uh, and that kind of thing, so you usually have it over a trusted network. Uh, in this case, all three issues were in uh, the ATFTPD server, so you could possibly trigger an assertion failure when handling crafted multicast uh, read requests. 
Uh, so if people aren't familiar, I do talk about assertion failures a bunch of times and they often result in a denial of service because essentially uh, programmers use assertions to kind of declare certain things that should never happen. Uh, obviously then, you know, they sometimes get their assumptions wrong and they have with, uh, attackers find ways that they can trigger those things to happen. And the idea of an assertion is that uh, the code then aborts when it's running. So in that case, it crashes and you get, uh, say, a stack trace or something like that or a cord up that you can then, as a programmer, go and analyze that crash. But obviously to an attacker, that's quite useful because hey now you've just uh, aborted the program so you can uh, trigger a pretty easy denial of service uh, what else there was a buffer overflow when handling crafted requests with multiple options and similarly a buffer overread when handling crafted options data in that case it would read past the array of options and into whatever the adjacent memory was there now according to the upstream cve uh, description that would then read uh, data from etsy group on the server but uh, i guess that's probably the case in that uh, particular memory setup but given that this is something that's allocated on the heap it's just whatever happens to be on the heap next to it so it's probably not necessarily deterministic that you do have that same data on there uh, depending on things but uh, maybe it is uh, i'm not sure but yeah whatever is on the heap could potentially get read and then uh, sent back so it's both potentially a denial of service because it might read past the array of map uh, past the bounds of map memory but it could also be an info leak if it then sends that data back to the client uh, what else uh, busybox was updated for a couple of cves again uh, this is actually for all of our releases that are uh, as a part of ubuntu pro now that are in expanded security maintenance so 1404 1604 and 1804 couple of different CVEs here. Uh, one of them was just an invalid free on malformed gzip data. So uh, as you're probably familiar, BusyBox is a re-implementation of a bunch of low-level standard uh, utilities that you know, can use on embedded systems and the like, providing both a shell but also things like uh, gunzip in this case and other utilities as well. So this was an interesting one. I thought actually just due to the way that uh, the programmers had implemented uh, the way this code works because uh, normally you call free on a pointer and if we see invalid free, then normally that's like you've double freed, you've freed the pointer twice or you know you call it on something that's allocated on the stack rather than allocated on the heap. But that's not what actually was going on here. In this case, they're calling free on a pointer that points to heap memory and uh, it is correct. However, uh, the way that they track errors in uh, this library is to to essentially add one to uh, the pointer value. So depending on how the memory allocator works, uh, a pointer will point to wherever the start of that memory is, but the allocator will usually align that on things like four byte blocks. What that means then is usually the bottom few bits of a pointer are all zero. And so what uh, the library here was doing is it was using things like the first bit and setting that to a one uh, to indicate that an error had occurred. Now what that then does is that pointer value is now pointing one byte past the, you know, the original location. And so if you then go and call free on that, uh, the memory allocator will probably do the wrong thing. Uh, that memory is now not nicely aligned as well. So you can either necessarily get a crash or you could just go and trash memory as a result. So uh, it was fixed obviously just to clear that error bit that was in the pointer. But yeah, it shows the dangers, I guess, of doing things like mangling pointers or trying to store excess information in them if you're not tracking that state properly. Uh, the other issue here in BusyBox was in uh, the handling of crafted input uh, to the shell implementation there. So it's got an implementation of the ash shell. And in that case, could trigger a stack overflow when parsing certain arithmetic expressions and therefore result in a crash or possible remote code execution. But uh, I thought this was interesting because since it's parsing shell expressions anyway, you could probably just inject actual shell code in there to evaluate surely. So no need to actually you know, go and inject, say, binary code. You can just inject whatever you want in uh, usual shell scripting language and get that to run whatever code you want anyway. So that second one's not really a big issue. After that was an update for Docker registry. 
Uh, again, this goes all the way back to 1604 and the releases since. So a couple CVEs here. Uh, Docker registry is the set of tools to pack and serve Docker images. So essentially allows you to stand up your own private Docker registry for serving your own Docker container images and the like. In this case, uh, there were two different denial of service vulnerabilities since it didn't place any bounds on the size of various parameters and different requests that it was receiving. So you could essentially hand it a request that had say a really large parameter value. It would then go and try to allocate enough memory to uh, handle that and then potentially run out of memory and it would crash or be killed. Uh, so it's interesting, I thought actually, because you know, Docker and these tools are implemented in Go, and Go is a nice memory safe language. Uh, so you know, things like C, we often see memory safety issues, but in Go, we don't necessarily expect to see that. However, this is not so much memory safety, but just running into, I guess, the, uh, the limits of um, abstractions and the way that computing works. So we often like to think that as a program, we've got unlimited memory available to us, we can just allocate memory and you know, the memory allocator will give it back to us and we'll be able to use it. But you do eventually run out of memory. There are real limits. Uh, both in the system itself as to how much memory is installed but also as to how much gets allocated to your process. So yeah, it is interesting to see that even in these uh, these other languages you still need to be careful of what you're doing with um, handling of things like untrusted input and making sure you're not necessarily going and doing some pathological, in this case memory allocation as a result of that. And then uh, we've got a heap of kernel updates. So as always, shout out to the kernel team for doing all of the work on these. We really just get to talk about them and cover the details of them. So uh, Steve and Rodrigo and our team uh, look through all the kernel updates and see what CVs the kernel team has fixed and you know, do all the publication for it. But the kernel team are the ones who manage all the patching and making sure all, all the right fixes are in there and backporting all the patches. So thank you uh, folks for all of that work. So uh, I'm going to do these pretty quickly because we've got probably uh, 10 or so kernel packages here to go through. But basically, yeah, if you're running an Ubuntu kernel, you've probably got some kernel updates. Uh, make sure you install them. Uh, the one that I thought I saw here was quite interesting because I've not yet talked about uh, this platform. So I often talk about, you know, we've done a kernel update for a, a GKE kernel or an Azure kernel or you know, a standard Ubuntu kernel, whatever it might be. But uh, the first one here was for the 6.2 based kernel that is for Ubuntu 23.04 on the standard. Star 5 platform. So Star 5 is a RISC-V platform. So if you are running uh, that development board, you can run Ubuntu natively on it. We've got native RISC-V packages and there's also a Star 5 uh, customized kernel that is on there. And now you've got 10 different CVEs fixed to that one as well. Uh, as I said, there were also updates for a heap of other kernels as well. If you haven't, make sure you've installed your latest kernel binaries and uh, done a reboot when you can into that to make sure they are all remediated. All right, and that is it for the week in security updates. So as I alluded to at the start of this episode, the other thing that I wanted to talk about this week is TPM-backed full disk encryption and uh, the announcement that it is coming to Ubuntu. So this was announced uh, just about 24 hours ago now on the Ubuntu blog by uh, Ijlao Lutfi. She is a product manager for security technologies in Ubuntu at Canonical. And uh, I also want to make sure I shout out though to Chris Coulson from our team who has done uh, the vast majority of the technical work on this, both the early research and design and implementation. Uh, I remember being in a set of meetings with Chris and others at Canonical back in 2019 when uh, we first started trying to get this work off the ground. Um, but uh, let's take a bit of a more step back from that. 
So, uh, you know, we're talking full disk encryption and you're probably thinking, well, Ubuntu has full disk encryption and we've had that uh, actually since uh, the 606 release. So since 2006, uh, we've offered uh, full disk encryption via Lux and uh, this is then on top of uh, LVM, the logical volume management. And back then you had to use an alternate install image, uh, but then in Ubuntu 12.10, that got integrated into the main install image. And ever since you can just download the standard installer, you can choose when you install uh, to install with full disk encryption uh, on top of LVM. And then every time uh, you, you know, run your machine at uh, boot, you enter in your passphrase to unlock the disk that then gets unlocked and decrypted and then off you go. Your machine just works as normal, but you now can uh, be assured that if someone were to steal your machine, they can't unlock the disk without your passphrase. So this is really cool, obviously for certain environments, but uh, you can imagine it's not very useful for other environments where uh, you don't necessarily have an operator or a user at the machine every time it boots uh, to go and type in that passphrase. So you can think of things like servers or IoT and that kind of thing. And so the demand for uh, the ability to have full disk encryption but without having to enter a passphrase is pretty strong, particularly, like I said, in IoT. Uh, the idea there is, I guess, if a device is stolen, someone can't then just remove the disk and compromise it. Uh, but again, being IoT, you can't just have all your little IoT devices where every time they have to get rebooted, someone has to go and, I don't know, plug a serial cable in and type in a, uh, type in a passphrase. So uh, what do we do here? We actually uh, leverage a piece of technology called the Trusted Platform Module, uh, the TPM, uh, to essentially store a key for us and then only make that key available when the machine is booting the proper trusted image and is in the right state. Uh, that then means that uh, that key can then be used to unlock the disk and you know that you're running your trusted OS so that someone's not trying to compromise it. Now, Windows has long supported this through BitLocker, and I guess Linux has kind of lagged behind. As I said earlier, this is a, a feature that's in high demand, and it's something that I alluded to that we started work on back in 2019 uh, to start work on designing and implementing a similar solution, but for Ubuntu Core uh, targeted at the IoT space. Uh, that work actually debuted in Ubuntu Core 20 and has then seen ongoing development through Ubuntu Core 22 and more since. And I've got a link in uh, the show notes to uh, the documentation on that if you want to go and read how that all works. So that's Ubuntu Core, uh, but to describe how that works, as like I said, to ensure that uh, the key is only provided to the machine uh, when it is running uh, you know, the right trusted BIOS and uh, the proper OS and it's all uh, the one that's expected to be, we essentially use the TPM to not just store the key but to also store uh, a list of so-called measurements of each of these components. It's essentially like a chain of hashes of all of them uh, and then every time you boot you kind of rehash all of these uh, different components into the TPM and it kind of measures that value and at the end you get out a final result and if that matches the value that was in uh, the TPM when the key was stored, then it gives you the key back basically. So what, what kind of things are measured here? Well, we measure things like the BIOS and the uh, configuration for that. So things like is secure boot enabled or not? Uh, we measure both uh, the bootloader, which in the case of Ubuntu is shim and grub kind of as a combination. We measure the kernel, you know, are you booting the right kernel image? Is it appropriately signed? Uh, we also measure the kernel command line because you don't want to allow an attacker to do things like modify the kernel command line to, I don't know, enable different uh, ways that you can compromise memory and things like that. Uh, plus, we also measure uh, the InnerDRD or the uh, sort of boot RAM disk that is used because that contains all the um, parts for actually unlocking the disk. So if you could 
could put in your own uh, inner RD. You could essentially kind of copy the standard one. It would do all the right things. You'd get your disk unlocked and then it would go and just copy off that uh, disk encryption key to the attacker's uh, own storage and then, hey, they've compromised your disk. They can then use that later on to decrypt it. So you want to make sure that everything is running the right trusted components. So as I say, at boot time, uh, that is this process called measured boot where each component in the boot chain measures the next one and then sort of hashes that into the TPM and you end up with this final state that says, yes, everything is correct. Uh, you've booted all the right components. So traditionally, it's quite hard to kind of achieve all of these measured boot uh, states on traditional Ubuntu and uh, general Linux systems because things like the initRD and others are actually built on your local machine. So if you've ever installed a kernel update, you'll see at the end of that, it goes and uh, runs something like uh, update init RAMFS that builds a little inner RD image that contains things like uh, some initial boot scripts, all of the various kernel modules that might be needed uh, to say, uh, you know, enable, I don't know, Ethernet or disk access or whatever it is that it needs to do at that early boot. And then that is then used to actually kind of bootstrap the boot and then uh, mount your standard disk. In the case of using uh, full disk encryption, that actually contains the, the code that actually goes and unlocks the disk using the passphrase that you normally type in, or in this case, it contains all the code to actually go and interface with the TPM. But like I said, on uh, traditional Ubuntu, that's generated on your machine. We can't easily verify that that is the real um, initRD because it's not something that's, say, generated by Canonical. It's not signed by a key that is uh, trusted. Uh, and so that's a lot harder to do. But uh, on Ubuntu Core, we have a whole different uh, kind of operating paradigm there where we can uh, we can do that. We're not subject to those same constraints. So as you're probably aware, Ubuntu Core is built on snaps for more specialized use cases. And so for Ubuntu Core 20, the kernel snap was updated then to use unified kernel images. And that then, uh, they contain both the kernel and the inner RD, plus uh, some other components into a single UEFI binary. That can then be signed and verified like our normal uh, trusted boot process does. But then it can also then be measured as a single entity into the TPM to make sure that uh, we are booting the right uh, kernel and uh, inner RD. Similarly, the gadget snap on uh, Ubuntu Core, so that contains the bootloader and uh, can contain things like UEFI configuration and others, that also uh, gets measured and verified at boot to ensure the system is in the required state. Like I said, to make sure things like UEFI secure boot is enabled and others as well. And so because on Ubuntu Core we have uh, this other way of packaging things up, we can use these different formats and uh, you know, the, whole, the whole system can be more custom like that. But uh, as you're aware, unlike Ubuntu Core, traditional or classic Ubuntu uses DEBs for the kernel and uh, for Grub and for Shim and things like that. And so we don't have uh, the same way to easily sign all these same pieces or to measure all these same pieces, should I say. Uh, in, in traditional Ubuntu, uh, we do sign the kernel and uh, Shim and, uh, the, and Grub, but we don't sign in RD. So we have these, some of these components that are untrusted. We can't easily implement this uh, trusted full disk encryption process. And so what we've done in this case is to leverage these same components uh, that we use on Ubuntu Core on traditional Ubuntu. So we use this snap-based approach. In this model, instead of deb packages providing the kernel and shim and grub, we use snaps. So we have a kernel snap and we have a so-called gadget snap. The kernel snap provides a kernel image. The gadget snap provides uh, shim and grub and others. And then we can go and use the exact same process that uh, in SnapD to measure all of these, make sure 
sure that uh, when we are installing a new kernel or a new grub through uh, these uh, gadget and kernel snaps that we go and re-measure these components. Uh, we can go and revalidate that, then reseal the disk encryption key into the TPM and everything just works uh, as expected. It's not some kind of hydraulic process. And all of this then is provided through a new experimental option in uh, the new install image. So if you boot the current uh, Mantic install image, you can choose uh, the advanced option when uh, doing the disk partitioning. And instead of just choosing uh, full disk encryption with Lux, you can choose full disk encryption using a TPM. Now this is only available if you have a TPM on the system and it's not yet already say configured for something like BitLocker or the like then it will go and uh, use this process and it will implement disk encryption but it will also then go and instead of using uh, kernel debs it will use a kernel snap and it will use a gadget snap. So I've got some, uh, some some details in the show notes. I've actually got some pictures of this in the show notes. So I went and did a quick install of this image into a VM. Uh, you do need to have your VM be uh, UEFI Secure Boot enabled with a virtual TPM device, but that's all pretty easy nowadays with Vert Manager or uh, other um, virtualization tools. You can even do it with, say, Lex DVMs as well. And, uh, yeah, you can see how that all works. Now, you might ask, you know, how... Other, other distros have had um, a TPM integration for full disk encryption for a while. There are existing tools like Clevis and others that implement this. Uh, how is this different? So Clevis is, uh, is a good tool, but it only verifies the bootloader and the kernel and hence can be bypassed reasonably easily. And in fact, there actually was a recent blog uh, from uh, Pulse Security describing uh, a particular attack that they were able to mount against uh, using uh, Clevis for TPM-backed full disk encryption. So in this case, uh, the systemd emergency service unit uh, doesn't get disabled and that then means uh, when, if you have a failure in the boot process, then it spawns the emergency service, that drops you into the inner RD and now you've got essentially attacker controlled code execution in the inner RD, you can go and uh, unlock the disk and get access to that disk encryption key if you need. So um, this is the kind of thing that has been considered in our design. You know, Chris considered a lot of these different attack vectors and uh, designed out a lot of these things into the uh, Ubuntu, original Ubuntu core design. And so hence also in our implementation here for classic Ubuntu with TPM back full disk encryption. The other thing to note too is if you do use something like Clevis, uh, the inner RD is never verified there. So an attacker can just replace the inner RD with one of their own choosing to subvert the usual trusted boot process as well. And uh, actually, uh, speaking of recent things around TPM backed full disk encryption, I uh, heard on the Linux Matters podcast uh, recently, uh, I've been talking about that as well, uh, talking about actually system decrypt enroll. And that does provide a bit more of a comprehensive solution because you can get it to measure more components at boot, but it is still a lot of manual work. Now, there is no integration necessarily there when you do things like install a new kernel. You're going to have to go and manually uh, calculate the new hashes and uh, store them uh, and go and reseal that key again against uh, the new kernel hash and the things like that. So uh, what is provided here is really intended to be a holistic solution that provides a lot of robust protection against uh, various online and offline attacks. And it also provides strong guarantees that things like secure boot is not able to be bypassed and that the key from the TPM can't easily be sniffed from the bus and a lot of other things as well. So yeah, I want to really shout out to Chris Coulson from our team for doing uh, so much good work on this. It has been such a long time in the making, both for, uh, for for Ubuntu Core, but now getting it into classic Ubuntu. And it's not just Chris that, that's done that work, but he did a lot of the original work for Ubuntu Core. Uh, a lot of other people have then gone and done the work to kind of um, move that into classic Ubuntu. But this is the kind of thing that uh, it really is the future. 
it provides a long sought after feature for Ubuntu, uh, a really decent improvement in security for a, a number of different attack scenarios. So depending on what your threat model is, this could be something that is really right up your alley. If it is, you know, I urge you, go and try it out, provide feedback. You know, it does probably have some rough edges still. This is, you know, it is marked experimental for a reason, but uh, this, is, this is intended to then become uh, a standard option to be used and installed for Ubuntu 2404. So by then, uh, you know, to be stabilized and be something that is well supported uh, and does provide, yeah, like I said, a really robust solution. Um, the traditional way of doing uh, either a passphrase back to full disk encryption or by just, you know, not doing full disk encryption at all will always be provided you know their you know, kernel and shim debs and grub debs aren't going away you know they are the components that actually go into the, the kernel snap and the, the gadget snaps so they're not going anywhere they'll always be available that those options will still be there but if you do want uh, tpm backed full disk encryption on ubuntu that is robust and reliable and is really a turnkey solution uh, this is the way to go so yeah try it out provide feedback and let us know what you think Okay, so that is it for this week's episode. As usual, if you do want to provide feedback, uh, you can always email us, security@ubuntu.com. You can come and chat to us in the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat, the IRC network, or you can hit us up on Mastodon. We are at Ubuntu security at fosterdon.org. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I'll be back again with you all next week, but until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.